because research shows if you neglect the desires and cravings part portion of your brain to release enough endorphins and dopamine and pleasure chemicals you literally will push it aside and you're training your body to be an adaptation phase you're adapting to hard work and so if you don't listen to your cravings and desires there's no fuel for your passion so you won't have enough dopamine you won't have enough serotonin you won't even have enough oxytocin to make you feel pleasure so you become numb so that's why the that adaptation phase is very dangerous and you will never ignite passion if you don't have passion yeah and move you know you're in that phase where the vagus nerve is totally out of whack Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. All right. Welcome back, friends. Yes. Welcome back. We're here. And we're here. We're here. Um, again, we're in the beautiful state of South Carolina. That's right. And uh, this has been a really good experience. We were just chatting to everybody that uh, we're about to do a really good subject. We're going to talk about the nervous system. And Courtney's probably going to clarify more because we were talking about talking about vagal nerve tone. Is that right? Yeah. 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 We're going to talk about relationships of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system as it relates to your gut, your digestion, your dietary health. And the question many of you guys are now asking, what does that mean? Can the way your gut is operating, can that environment affect the way you think? Mm. And can the way you think affect your digestion? Yeah. And that's it. So we, because I like this setting because we do it in conversation. But one of the things that you and I both deal with with people that come to us for advice or consulting is that they automatically have digestive issues because you've had your journey, I've had my journey with the health of digestion, but also how you can be cranky or how you can actually have lots of mood changes. And what many of us probably forget is that you can have a mood change because of the things that are going on in your digestive system. Like if you had toxins coming up or if you're constipated and hopefully I, I'm not taking away from the whole intro, but here at, we're here at the health podcast and we want to talk to you guys about, Hey, if you're having symptoms of let's say um, bloating or constipation or diarrhea and you have emotional fatigue as well, there's a clear relationship and we want to go over some of the main points of it, but also have a conversation with you all about letting you know that there are definitely connections. Yeah. I'm okay. I just had something pop into my brain. Yeah. <laughs> this happens so randomly, but I'm thinking, right. So when, you, cause you said emotions and we're talking about the nervous system and what made me really kind of create this correlation is that when we experience emotion, something like anger or rage. Okay. So like I'm picturing like road rage or something. <laughs> so something that's like Courtney's a triggered event. So this is a, this is, I know <laughs> we're not going to use my personal uh, struggle with this, but that is a struggle. So I at least can identify, I mean, I've acknowledged it, but okay. So here's, here's a picture. So you're driving, you're triggered by something. And all of a sudden, like you're angry, like you're outraged at something. Mm. You can feel your body tense up. Like you can feel everything. Like your, your 
your heart rate starts to increase. You maybe feel like hot inside, like you're you're fiery, you know, you're fully experiencing this emotion. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like all the blood is now diverting away from your digestion and it's like survival mode, go time. Like mm-hmm. we're we're going like at it with somebody. But then for a lot of people, it can be really hard. It could be hours later mm-hmm. that you are even decompressed from that state mm-hmm. of your nervous system. So I realize that this is probably a very dramatic mm, picture. Love this, yeah. But how many times are we recreating that in real life, which is keeping us way out of balance with our nervous system? Because whether that's it's good. a child that's just like losing their mind, right? And it's just so stressful. Um, and then you add in like the fact that most parents are probably underslept and then you've got like work calls or deadlines or whatever. It's like we go from one trigger to the next. Like I'm just picturing all these little dots and instead of them being strung out and they're really far apart, everything is really tight and close together, which means that you're just in that clinched up fight or flight, very stressed state. Like your body is just a bundle of nervous energy. Oh, I, I, whenever you talked about like getting into um, the car and having somebody like cut you off and you got super angry, when we see blood work or hormonal work, a lot of times you look at somebody's cortisol levels or you look at their insulin levels and they'll have spikes at certain times of day, which would tell you like if you're at high fight or flight in certain areas or you're trying to wake up. But I always think that when your body will express an emotion that's comfortable for you or what's needed at the time when you experience it. So when you're in constant fight or flight throughout the day, like literally I have to go to my work. I have to take my kids here. I've got to go do a workout. I've got to go make food. I've got to do different things like that. That's constant fight or flight if you're not careful. And what we do is we experience and not only with anger, but let's say we have resentment or frustration or we don't trust somebody or we have anxiety or we have control issues or if we're totally exhausted or have self-esteem issues. In my opinion, these are all examples of how we elicit and try to break out that steam. We try to let off that steam because you're literally in a chronic fight or flight state because I, I like to study like some of the um, neurologists that say that, you know, they talk about the hippocampus and guys, this will all go back to the vagus nerve. Like they say that your hippocampus is your, hold your amygdala, which is your fear center. So every day we go out and we, we subconsciously take the day and go, I've got to do this, 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 and this. And then our brain is like a thermostat. It goes, I can handle about 50% of that. And the other 50%, I better store away somewhere in my brain so it can process that somehow. And then if we don't process it out in the day, where does it go? It doesn't just leave if we don't ground out. It stays there. And then we express it because we're in fight or flight through being angry or being resentful or distrustful or having some type of self-esteem issue. So we take that stored energy and in our brain and it's in there in the filing cabinet. And then we get cut off and we're like, oh, that pinted up thing I just stored this morning from all the fight or flight I'm already in is going to be expressed. So I am with you. I think that whenever those times come out, we don't realize how high our cortisol is driven all day. Because if we had a monitor, and they'll have those soon, about how high our cortisol or how much our adrenaline output would be each day, we'd be very surprised. And we could even go into the fact about how high inflammation signals are triggered by the high amount of cortisol that's in our body. So we talked to Courtney today, and Courtney was already up super early. And Trent and I were like, uh, he's our social media video man. And he was like, you know, she goes, you want to guys want to get up and get going and early? And I was like, how early is that? <laughs> and that almost made me go into fight or flight. I'm just, <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's so funny. You're like, I'm still recovering from that conversation yesterday. <laughs> oh, man. It's like my cortisol still rolling. But that is true, though. Like when we're talking about vagus nerve and sympathetics or how it affects our digestion, 
the breakdown product or how a cortisol breaks down or adrenaline, there is half-life. So when cortisol gets put into the blood or gets into your bloodstream, it does take it some time to calm down. But if you're consistently triggered, then cortisol can stay normally high, which makes you adapt. So there's a guy that was named Hans Selye. I think he was a Swedish scientist. And this is how nerdy we can get here. He says there's three phases of, they call it injury or call it injury recall or adrenal overload, which affects your vagus nerve. So when we first get up in the morning, we initially handle our stress. We first gets into our brain and our body gears up and strengthens up certain parts of our body to initially come in contact with our stress. And then if we do it day after day, we adapt. That's the adaptation phase. That means our adrenals and our cortisol levels store it is staying at a normal level. But the problem with adaptation is this. If you have going, you know, you have so many jobs you got to do in a day, you got so many tasks and you literally go to bed and you're so worn out, you go, oh my God, I'm so worn out, but I'm kind of numb. That adaptation phase makes you numb. So then you are used to the amount of cortisol in your blood now. And that's normal, even if it's high. So your blood pressure changes and your heart rate changes and that becomes normal. And then your inflammation rates change because you have to release a certain amount of inflammatory cholesterol to go to the damaged cells that were damaged from your fight or flight. And this engages inflammation. And then you get to burnout. So after so many years, you get to a point where you're like, I can't get up anymore. I can't even get out of bed. And that's exhaustive phase. When you get to exhaustive phase, and I'm not sounding dire or, or trying to sound negative, but the fourth stage's death. I've literally had people come in the office and they've gotten to where they you ever have people come, you go, I have primal screams. I couldn't move. My body was so tired. What we're saying is this, and me and Courtney get to the point. When you are undergoing adrenal stress and you have chronic emotional states that drive this program in you, you guys have to remember too, like let's say um, you get up in the morning and you, and you have to get ready for work. You have to take your kids to school. You have to do these things. And that repetitive motion is not necessarily bad in itself, but it constantly drives your cortisol levels Remember, you'll build up a certain emotion to that programming. You will tag that process with an emotion. If your family line, and this is how I say when she says get angry, if you had a family line that had weak gallbladders or liver in Chinese medicine, that has to do with rage and anger and hate. If you've learned to store emotions and not release them, it can trigger and store into those organs. And you can get completely angry for no reason. Because the program is running and you're getting adapted and you're getting tired and then you get to almost exhaustive phase and now you have to release it somehow. And that in itself will trigger what we call a vagal nerve response. So uh, interject, I'm not trying to over talk, but I just like this part. This is I love. so good. If, if you are over triggering your, your um, sympathetic and parasympathetic, what you're saying is, okay, I've got this constant adaptation. I'm almost in burnout. I trained my brain and my organs to operate in this phase of high cortisol output, high adrenaline output, high liver dysfunction. And then the vagus nerve is carrying signals or trying to. It's cranial nerve 10. It's a nerve that travels down through your brainstem, down your neck, and it has branches that feed and is connected to almost every single organ and gland in your body. So it's sending relaxation signals through your brain. So you're telling your organs, we talked about breath work. We're going to go talk about breath work. You're saying, okay, heart, relax, stay calm, digestion, release, go to the bathroom, bladder, it's okay to go ahead and release your toxins. But when you go into that phase where you had the anger or resentment or frustration from your relatives or from your parents and it starts to express itself in your high cortisol, you're literally giving this subconscious programming through that nerve and it's going, 
uh, back off parasympathetic. Sympathetic, your volume turns up now. And so what is it telling your organs? Don't stay calm. Live at higher heart rate. Live at higher blood pressure. Constipation kick in because now I've got to take a lot of the blood flow from my colon and stick it to my heart. And so we start to see that the digestive tract starts to suffer. And it's because a lot of the emotions from, like, from your past start to express themselves through that nerve. And then we're going to talk about infections, how those and the infections feed back and forth. And I just totally deep dive right yeah, at the beginning, but this is so what I good. love. Yeah. Would you say that it's accurate that the majority of people are sympathetic dominant? Their tone is sympathetic dominant? Completely. And in the U.S. alone, it's completely sympathetic dominant. I think that some of the biggest indicators for sympathetic dominance is if you've lost pleasure. Mm. If you cannot feel desire or cravings, and I'm not talking about unhealthy cravings and desires. I'm talking about healthy cravings and desires. If you can't think of yourself having a good workout or making yourself a really great gluten-free, dairy-free muffin or something of that sort or enjoying a vacation, if you have no pleasure, then you're not listening to your healthy cravings and desires. Because research shows if you neglect the desires and cravings part portion of your brain to release enough endorphins and dopamine and pleasure chemicals, you literally will push it aside and you're training your body to be an adaptation phase. You're adapting to hard work. And so if you don't listen to your cravings and desires, there's no fuel for your passion. So you won't have enough dopamine. You won't have enough serotonin. You won't even have enough oxytocin to make you feel pleasure. So you become numb. So that's why the that adaptation phase is very dangerous. And you will never ignite passion. If you don't have passion yeah. and move, you know you're in that phase where the vagus nerve is totally out of whack. Shoot. That so got people are really going, do I have passion? I'm like, <laughs> don't neglect your natural healthy desires and cravings because it'll make you go into adaptation phase and it will make you numb and you will never see anything being pleasurable in life. And yeah. I'm telling you, you will turn off the parts of your brain that, that show that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how- were like, do we have that? <laughs> it was like, I, uh, I've had that quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I imagine most people are thinking, oh, okay, this is resonating. Because to some degree, we all make compromises. Like we all compromise as we go through life, right? Where we become, we, we start making decisions from a place of, well, what is the path of least resistance? Instead of choosing the things that are for us, we start to look at the options and the pathways and just think, which one's going to hurt the least? And I think that that's where we can, it, it's one decision, like it's one thought. It's, it's doing that and staying in that lane and it pulls you so far away from what you're talking about, what's bringing you true joy. And, then, and, and your body the whole time is adapting. Like your whole, your body, just like you said, your body's adapting, adapting. You get kind of used to it. You get kind of like your body, honestly, like I've been in phases where that cortisol's increased, that adrenaline steps in. It's like, okay, well, you know, we got a lot of things going on here, but we're going to try to keep every, keep the balance in the body. You actually can feel pretty good. Like you can force yourself to show up and be doing things and you can feel somewhat immune to the impact that Mm -hmm. it's taking on your body. But then, like you said, it's the triggers. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, like (sighs) what is going on here? Like how, and then you start and you're like, I'm nowhere near where I need to be. And it's because for so long, our body's been showing up adapting for us. 
but we've been living and choosing things coming from a place in life where we're choosing things that really don't serve us and serve who it is that we are. Oh, I, I agree. I love when you said like, it's like that, that you want to keep the peace or go with the flow or you don't, the, le- the path of least resistance. Because in our lives, in this American culture, it's like, how can we get ahead and how can we make, quote, the best life for us? And we have, everybody has their different views of what's the best life for them. But when you adapt to like the path of least resistance and the, the, the traits and the habits that are formed, even the physical tra- habits and traits to say this is the path of least resistance may be, quote, easier and, quote, make you have more peace. But the issue is, is that when you start to create a program that is diminishing the output of the, of the neurotransmitters and the hormones, you need to actually have a pleasurable experience. Pleasure is not bad. I, I don't say that at all. The point where I'm saying is like, if you don't create habits and if you don't recognize the unhealthy habits, you're going to make yourself into an adaptation phase. And when I, we were just talking, when she just said that, it made a great point that when you create the adaptation, you will actually crave the chemistry that you've created in your path of least resistance. It becomes so normal to you that when you're out of it, like let's say you're in the worst work situation you've ever been in, or you've gotten to a relationship with somebody like, I don't know if this is the best for me. You actually try to adapt to a person, to a place, to a work job, Mm -hmm. and it becomes so comfortable to your neurology. I'm serious. I'm not trying to sound smart. It's really like you actually crave the chemicals. You, You become addicted to it. And then when you get, try to get out of it, out of the adaptation, your body will say, well, something's wrong. Yeah. So you continue the pattern and it's like, this is, this part's, part's wrong. When that will actually lead you to exhaustion, because if it keeps continuing the cortisol cycle, you'll actually increase your cortisol because inherently there's an innate intelligence in your body that God gave you that says, no, this is not right. And you know, it's not right. Yeah. And you go, I can make it work. And I think that makes me almost tear up because I think that yeah. there's an energy behind how God has allowed you to be like, listen to like the, those still small voices that say, you know, in your, in your heart that say, you know, there has to be some form of passion in your life that, like you just said, the path that you, that you need to take that would bring, not say joy to yourself, but brings quite a bit of community and joy and love to the, I mean, and warmth. And it may sound like a little woo-woo, but when we talk about that, go to the path of least resistance, Sometimes, court, when patients come in and they say, well, I just want it to be easy. And I'm like, you can think that way, but what it will do is if I find on a person where they're in adaptation is that their organs are trying to keep up. So like, let's say somebody gets angry on the road and I find out that, that they're in adaptation phase because they're telling their vagus nerve, like I'm literally in fight or flight all day. Anytime now that I see that they're in adaptation, I find the weakest organs. And if the life they were living now was actually to go with the flow was the best for them, why would they show adaptation? Yeah. The patients that don't show the most adaptation that are really doing well is like the people who literally are like, man, I found like this is what I was supposed to do. And I'm like, and there's nobody else that's getting detriment, any detriment from it. Like everybody's like, you know, you had your boundaries, you're working for it. And I just, I know this is not trying to be like a whole psychological podcast, guys, but I just want you guys to realize if you have passion in life yeah, and you are not neglecting the healthy desires and cravings that God, that God gives you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, and we're going to get into Vegas now, I promise. Well, I think that's a really important piece. We we're hammering this home because it's important. Like, I think it keeps coming up because it seems to be the one thing that's overlooked the most. 
because we're always looking for solutions and everybody wants a solution now. Like mm-hmm. nobody wants to feel bad any longer than they already are. Yeah. And somebody wants to be able to just say, oh, that's the one thing I'm missing. Okay, well, I'll just Amazon Prime that. I'll have that in two days and then my problem solved. I don't need to think about it anymore. This is the stuff that's kind of hard to think about because it's not linear. It doesn't always make sense and it's changing. It's a moving target. Yeah. And so it's not something that we can sit with one day and have it figured out. Like you're going to sit with it probably your entire life, Oh yeah. but you're going to be really skilled at understanding, oh, you know what? I know when I think or when I feel this way, I need to stop and then I need to do this practice or I need to start evaluating this or I need to start asking these questions. Like it's going to point you in the right direction, Yeah. but it's being able to understand you've got to learn that sequence, that process, and it's unique to you. So like, what you experience, what I experience can be different from what anybody that listens experiences. Mm-hmm. But these are the fundamental concepts. Like you've got to be able to just start to access a little bit. Otherwise, you can listen to every health podcast, whatever it is, webinar, I don't, you know, you name it. Yeah. Like the smartest people that are out there, you can think you've got it all figured out when it comes to your biochemistry and physiology and all of these things. But I'm telling you, if you miss the piece of your emotional health, it will unravel everything that you've tried to learn. I agree. I think that um, one of the biggest things that I think that we we hit on, like we're trying to even hit on in the podcast and how we con- we converse, is that to recognize your emotional state and to find the connectivity of how you can read and understand your emotions. Because you said it before, you're not your emotions and, and you're not your feelings per se, but to ha- learn how to read those and to do it from not a robotic, objective way, but to look, step back and go, okay, I am feeling this way. We want to give you information about why that could be. So like when I said, if you don't have passions for life or desires, like if we talk about, or when we talk about digestive system issues, I want individuals to, when they listen, they go, okay, well, doc, I've had chronic digestive, uh, I've had diarrhea that's off and on for so many years. I've got Crohn's. I've got ulcerative colitis. I have had um, celiac disease. And my heart goes out to these individuals. I mean, I see these patients every day. And I, I don't want to bore you with stories. I, I say this, like, I always say those symptoms, I always try to convert back, of course, to the emotion of the organ that's involved. But I have to believe that whenever there's uh, infections involved or allergies involved or food sensitivities, whenever I have that digestive piece I'm like, well, there's a deep emotional issue involved. And how is it triggering your consistent fight or flight? I had a young lady come in and she's only nine. And when she first came in, her mom came in and she brought her in and she was for a nine-year-old. She was, I don't say she's malnourished because they fed her all the time. And she was smaller for her size and very thin, like kind of like skin and bones. And they've been to a couple of hospitals and the doctor said, well, she just, you know, she has Crohn's. And she's just going to have to live with it. Let's fast forward. I found parasitic uh, sy- symptoms and evidence that there could be parasites and high amounts of strep and even E. coli. And, but the backdrop was there is emotions in the large intestine that had to do with controlling her value, value for life. She couldn't go out with her friends. She couldn't eat the same foods. She mm-hmm. couldn't go and play. That same thing was passed down by her parents. The parents were hard workers, but they think I have to prove my worth and my value by how hard I work and what are the results. And that program stuck them her in fight or flight, even at a young age, yeah. draining her colon of energy. 
And so the, the vagus nerve is sitting there sending signals back down and the colon's like going, yeah, I'll, yeah, there's a, I'm, I don't have enough value. I got to control this. I have to control it. And then she gets infected. The cool thing was, is as we started to clean out with some different herbals and stuff, I started using acupuncture points to hit all the emotional points. Yeah. And she's gaining weight. We got rid of some of wow. her mold. She like, looks like a, her colors completely changed. But all this to say, guys, that if we didn't address that her family line had issues with value, if she didn't really, we didn't realize she had a problem valuing life, it would have stayed. And, and, but the beauty of it is like when we talk about the small signals, we'll go through some of the emotional signals that I think would be really good to talk about, um, about like how you can know when you're in that uh, sympathetic state though. That's a really neat story. So it's interesting to think about all the children that are experiencing they're experiencing a different world than we did. Mm-hmm. I guess we all do, really. You know, if you think of just generational family history, you know, the world is different from generation to generation. But I feel that it's it's very different now. Oh, it's yeah. it's like we went we skipped like five generations, and I don't think we've really adapted to the world that we now live in because it it just accelerated so fast. And I think that our children are also highly affected because I see that in my own kids and, you know, there's such a delicate approach because their bodies are so sensitive Mm -hmm. and they don't have the Mm skill set yet to fully process. And I think we just expect them to mature because as a parent, like we don't want to have kids that are out of control and screaming and we don't want to have kids that are, you know, a burden to other people. And so we just want them to follow the rules, fit in the box not cause too much of a, a headache for any one person to manage. And then just to get to that point where they're old enough to care for themselves, to take, you know, to do all of these things on their own. But then at that point, it's like, have we really given them the skill set to process things? Or have we been teaching them all along how to just dodge things, right? Okay, you can't experience that or you can't, you can't feel that, mm-hmm, you know, emotion because it's not acceptable. And so I think even now we're just seeing kind of this paradigm where on one hand, we see high levels of tolerance where children get to decide everything Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are no parameters. But then we also see a very rigid society where we expect them to show up in, you know, a certain structure, certain, you know, context. And it's like, if you don't fit that profile, then, well, then you're just going to need additional support. You you fit in a different category because this is, this is the normal American child trajectory. Yeah. So it's just interesting because I think that we're going to see, I really do believe that we're going to start to see in the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years, maybe even the children now, what they're going to be faced with. If we don't start to instill some groundwork with them to process things, to understand things, what what their bodies are managing and carrying, I think it's a lot heavier than we ever realized. I, I agree. I think you hit a nail on the head because, you know, today when you said how we advance so quickly, and I think that, you know, technology, of course, has advanced quickly in the last 10 years faster and, than we've ever seen, and that there is information that a young person can get, which can actually change their behavior because they can get smarter. Yeah. And, but it, it really is. And I, I think I, I look at it and we go, toxicity in our environments has increased. The amount of processed foods, materials has increased because the technology has increased so badly. I mean, not badly, but greatly. And then 
you think about like we talk about factories, there's more factories that have to go up and there's probably more toxicities in our groundwater, probably in our, in our soil and in our air. And then you think about the amount of radiation. So I hope everybody's following me. This is like vagal nerve stimulation issues that, that Courtney's talking about. The kids will be raised in a culture where they can't adapt slow enough. Yeah. And there's too much information and too much toxicity and there's too much pesticides in their food and there's too yes. much things they're getting fed at school. And they get all this information in, the, in their digestive system and they get all this information, which is stress and their brain has to adapt. I mean, how young can you have to be to look at an iPad now? I have two year, I have one year olds coming out of my office that know how to work on an iPhone. And, and you think that amount of information that comes in the brain can actually harden certain areas of the brain. And you think, okay, add all these things together. We're living in a time frame, like Courtney just said, where we don't have enough time to adapt. What does it do to the transmission of information from your brain to your digestive system or to all organs? And, and I think this, like, you know, we hear about, I hate to say this, like kids with behavioral problems. And please, people, I'm not talking about anybody about their children. But I'm saying when you have behavioral problems, like if we talk about OCD or ADD or ADHD, in our schools, like we're in an environment where we're always in 5G. And we've been shown, they've been shown that your bacterial and your fungal overgrowth and your viral overgrowth can be affected by the radiation given off by Wi-Fi. So you're always in that. You have foods at schools that are coming in with lots of trans fats, fatty acids, you know, high carbs, high starches, high refined starches. And then you start to build a gut flora that's sitting there that's manifesting all these toxins. And then the brain is trying to adapt to all the quick changes that are happening. And then your floor is supposed to create a lot of serotonin, a little bit of dopamine and help you with histamine responses and histamine growth and keep the bad guys at bay. But we're feeding all the stuff in our gut to make the bad guys grow. And then, but your body's trying to adapt to all the information you're putting in from all the 5G and all the information. What does that do to the body? It causes a quandary. Like it's like you have confused kids and confused people too. What do we do about this? <laughs> well, okay. This brings up a really good point then. We talk about dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, like all these neurotransmitters, right? Because people are, people are agitated. People are stressed in a way I've never seen before. And myself included, I'm not just saying it's everybody else. Like I can feel it. Like we've had conversations about this where yeah. it's like, I don't know that I've ever sensed energy the way that I am now. Like I can walk into a place and I'm like, oh, I just feel like, I just feel kind of irritated, like edgy almost Mm. just like, and I don't know what, I'm not provoked by anything, but I can almost have this like nervous energy. And I'm like, I can't really pinpoint where this is coming from, but I feel it, you know? So it's like, okay, now we see, we know that there are these influences to our nervous system that Mm. are really keeping us in an adaptive nature until really we start to bottom out. And then that's where people are really like, well, I just have nothing left. I can't even get out of bed. Yep. So before we get to that point, how do we tonify? How can we support our nervous system knowing that our bodies are carrying a massive load, trying to, to swing this pendulum between parasympathetic and sympathetic, yet many of us lean towards that sympathetic state pretty much all the time. It's like, we can't, we can't stay there. How do we, how do we start to oh, create? I think we talked about it before. I mean, I, yeah. just, I think the biggest thing that I think that when patients come to see uh, into the office and many of everybody out there is listening has dealt with clients and health uh, cons- consulting and is that I always say you had to start with your habits first. And that's where I first started to see if you're in your sympathetic state. So I try to find out what not necessarily your, your, all your habits are, but I think some of the basic things that we talked about was how do you breathe? How much sun do you get? 
How much grounding do you get to be like in nature? What type of water do you drink? How much sleep do you get or what type of quality of sleep you get? And how many times do you poop? Mm. Now, the reason I ask these questions is because these all have been clinically shown to put you in parasympathetic tone. If you literally have to think about releasing your anus, <laughs> you're in sympathetic mode. Yeah. If you cannot breathe through your stomach muscles, we talked about that, because you have the vagus nerve, which innervates all your organs, but it innervates your diaphragm. And your diaphragm and your breathing is one of the mechanisms that you can control consciously. It's unconsciously controlled. You breathe and you sleep, and you can consciously stop your breathing. So that's one of the main pathways that breath work is designed for. So are you breathing through your stomach or pushing your diaphragm down? And this is the, the, like this is how nerdy I like to think about it. If you let your diaphragm fall, guys, you actually relax your heart because your heart is on top of your diaphragm mm. and the heart pericardial muscle is attached to your diaphragm. If you're tight and you don't breathe through your stomach, you keep breathe through your chest, your heart on the bottom side is rigid and you'll increase blood pressure and you'll be in sympathetic tone. Do you breathe well? Can you breathe through your stomach? I think that when you ground, how many times do you get outside? If you're inside in Wi-Fi all day and around, you better go out because you're going to get voltage on your skin. If you sit at your desk with a laptop on your desk, on your lap all day or in your hand, you're going to put voltage into your skin. And where does that voltage go? It doesn't just go away. Yeah. It stays in your tissue. So water, try your best to drink clean water, but we are a dehydrated country. And I'm telling you, if you ask somebody if they drink more than four glasses of water today, they would probably laugh at your face and they'd be like, no, I don't drink that. I've literally had patients court come in. And they've told me all these problems and I'll check their pulse points in Chinese medicine. I'll read their reports and I'll check their muscle strength and their muscles are like, okay, for their digestion. The quads, quad muscles, your abdominal muscles, your glutes, and your hamstrings are all neurologically connected to your digestion. Mm. So you want to do a workout and your quads always get tired, your hamstrings always pull, or your abdominals are very strong and your core is low, you got colon issues. And they'll, they will, they can't even stay strong. When I test their muscles, they're like, oh my, I can't hold up. I say, well, here, drink a cup of water, bring a cup of water, drink, everything turns back on. Is this why I can't get abs? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I took from, from Gordon's like, okay, whatever that. you just said. Like the, the whole thing is like the, the habits, how do we change them? I would say, those are the things I would say yeah. you would need to start in the very beginning is to understand that you need to be outside and get water and to, to walk and, and get better sleep and get like an, an aura ring or get something that monitors your sleep and, and, and really measure how many times you go to the restroom or go to the, hey, have a bowel movement because- I will tell you this, if you have to think about the last time you had a bowel movement, or you think about, do I have pebbles? I have rock hard pebbles. That means you're dehydrated. Or how many times you drink water, you are in sympathetic state. Yeah. So if you can't answer those simple questions, if yeah. people say, oh, it's simple. I was like, no, it's not. Yeah. If you can't answer that and you can tell, like, tell me when you did the last time you did a walk or the last time you went out and you put your feet in the dirt, then you are in sympathetic state. I have a question about this. Yep. Do you think that people can get addicted to stress hormone where they, because I have found this with other people and I've also experienced it myself to some degree, where it is actually harder to unwind. It is harder to just go be still, to disconnect. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it feels better to be in process, doing, producing, when you do disconnect, it raises anxiety. Oh, completely. Like, and 
whenever you, you attach oxytocin release, um, and, that's, and this is where we talked about the emotional aspect of it. I hate to use this terminology, but if somebody's ever had trauma or been abused and they call it like Stockholm syndrome where somebody like they love the person that perpetrates and it hurts them. But you can do that with, many times with habits. Uh, for instance, I'll tell you personally, I, I work quite a bit and, and, and I almost have oxytocin release because when I work, like it, it feels like pleasure. But the, the thing is like when you get addicted to that chemical, when you start to back off again, remember I'm in adaptation. And when I back off of work, I'm not producing the same type of chemicals in that day. So I need the work to make me get back up to my adaptation. And so what does my body do? It actually will not produce oxytocin. It will yeah. produce things that make me have anxiety. Yeah. And so I, it even changes your diet and, your, and your, your stomach. You'll actually have a sour stomach or have like something going on that day. You're like, man, something just feels wrong. So whenever you, you break the norm, that's why I think in the scriptures and even in many spiritual practices, they talk about taking the Sabbath. Yeah. And, you know, and they say honoring it, but it really is about like retraining your neurotransmitters. Yeah. It's really retraining your body. Like even if it's so many times a day in Chinese medicine, they always say like, whenever we go through adaptation phase, you can work hard and have a sympathetic state. Like you have to work hard. You have to get your energy up. But like, I got to get going. Uh, I got to get these things going. But the times at three to 5 PM is when from work, you're supposed to slow down and energize mm -hmm. the kidneys. You need to restore. You need to be having, taking more water, have a cup of tea, sit on your back patio and be around the people you love or read a good book. And that's restoration time. Uh. Bladder is rest time. So that's where you take a small siesta. That's when you take a little nap to get your kidneys energized back up. But it's supposed to train your body in Chinese medicine to veer, gear up to do what? Not to, you can do more work, but it goes into this fire time. So you go kidney, bladder, 7 p.m. stops. 7 p.m. goes down to what we call this triple warmer time in, in circulation, sex pericardium time, which means restore the fire, which means you wind down, you're winding down, then you really rest. You don't wind down and do more work. Yeah. You're supposed to build your sex hormones back up, which give you yeah. pleasure. But what do we do? We take our sex hormones. Yeah. I'm getting all out of it now. And we make more stress hormone. What do the testes and the ovaries do? They make testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. When we stress our bodies out, our bodies, your testes and your ovaries still produce uh, adrenaline. You'll actually use those organs to make more adrenaline than your sex hormones. Yeah. And so people that go like guys who work all the time, like, why do I have low testosterone? Because you used all your hormonal oomph to make adrenaline to handle your workload. Yeah. And my vitamin D receptors are low genetically. You're not going to have less sex drive. That's yeah. how it works. I mean, and, and, I, and I, I sound adamant, but when we go there, there is an anxiety that comes when you don't do your habits, yeah. your, your, uh, your normal workaholic habits. <laughs> That's interesting, too, talking about sex hormones, because I, oftentimes we forget that we have these parent hormones. You have cholesterol that builds pregnenolone and then pregnenolone can become DHEA or whatever. So it, there's all these downstream, but it's like where we're at, where our body is, like this kind of barometer, right? Like their body can kind of have this, has this intelligence. And that's really what determines like what hormone we need to build right here and now. And trust me, like fertility and reproduction is not a priority when your body is super stressed yes. out. And it's like, no, we just need to keep blood pumping to your heart. Like that's actually more important than you building another human. So, you know, I think if you see dysregulation, because that's a really common thing for women right now is like dysregulated hormones. Now I do realize there are, you know, all kinds of xenoestrogens and endocrine disrupting things that are 
creating all types of uh, barriers with communication and cell signaling and things like that. But I think the bigger problem is that our bodies just don't even feel safe enough to be in that rest, digest and reproduce state long enough to create the hormones to support the cycles because the hormones, right, they build and then they taper off and it's this whole cyclical nature. So there's a lot, I think, to even correlate that just outside of talking about digestion. I mean, it, it trickles in so it affects everything. And we talk about that in every episode. I mean, I, everything I, affects everything. I mean, I, I, I love the way you put that. Cause it's just again, nail on the head, because if you are like you say rest and digest to think that you could create harmony or balance, like from already like a semi depleted state, like if you have a hundred percent battery and you taking seventy percent of that and going to these old injuries and you're thinking, well, my hormone system's gonna operate normally or my digestion. I'm like, it's very hard to do that because you're in mm-hmm. adaptation phase. And that's why I think simplicity is like, can we operate in a simplistic habits to actually retrain our bodies to actually go back to trying to get into a parasympathetic state? Cause I, I love the way you put it. There comes a point when when we're running so hard, let, let's say with our hormones and we're talking about or our digestion. Let's say, for example, our our vagus nerve. Whenever, let's say your your liver is in in distress, because your liver creates cholesterol, like Courtney said, it makes pregnenolone. Pregnenolone make, will make progesterone or DHEA, and those will actually some your pregnenolone can make cortisol. It could make excess cortisol, and you can disrupt your hormonal system. The crazy thing is, is we're in, always in that constant depleted state. Our liver, for example, will get very tired. And this is just like a small example. Let's say that you're in depleted state. And you start, you, you have a diet that's not the greatest and you start to build up salmonella or E. coli or strep. Let's say you had strep when you were a kid and the strep was in your throat and the strep got into your tonsils and got into your thyroid, mm-hmm. then got to your heart and got systemic. And then you got into your liver and it had this depleted state and your liver gets bogged down and it can't detoxify it. And then you don't create the normal cholesterol because you ran out of energy being an adaptation state phase when you got older. So you, you built it up and the liver gets congested. And then the liver can't detoxify your blood, but it can't make bile to make your gallbladder perfectly work because the gallbladder helps get rid of excess estrogen that's placed in the bile. So you have a liver that's unhealthy, you have a gallbladder that's not functioning properly, and then you want your hormones to work perfectly. That doesn't compute. It can't. Oh, gosh. And then you go, well, how much water do you drink? One cup of water. How much sugar do you eat? Oh, I have a latte with extra creamer every day, three of them a day. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying this is what happens in the yeah. office. I'm dehydrated. I'm full of sugar. I've got, de- I've got literally salts that are being raw from my gallbladder, but I want my hormones to be normal. Yeah. And that screws up your stomach because the bile helps you digest fats. That helps feed your brain. And then all the digested food should go to your small intestine and nourish you. But yeah. then we get leaky gut. Yeah. And those nerves that are surrounding those organs are sending a signal through the vagus nerve back up going, yo, I'm not well and I can't do my job. And then the crazy thing is there's evidence now that if you get high amounts of infection in the gallbladder, like parasites will build up in your gallbladder and get, and that's how you make gallstones because it dehydrates, right? And then you get all these infections. They have been shown viruses too, to travel back up the nerve and break through and get through the vagus nerve to your brainstem. Yeah, I have heard that. So stems, right? If you get a signal that goes back up into your brainstem through the vagus nerve, your vagus nerve is literally trying to send signals back down to say, how can I accommodate? So the worse your digestion gets, 
the bigger the inflammation signals, it's sending the signal to the brain saying, there's a lot of inflammation, you got to help me out. And so it's trying to consistently push signals back and forth, up and down. And what they found, it, it wears your brain out. It will turn your sympathetics on consistently. That's the programming. So the program is being sent up and down. And most of us probably are not even aware this is happening. We right? Don't, Until yeah. we're miserable. Like, because let's be honest, life is so busy. We have a million things going on. Everybody does. And so for the most part, until it disrupts our life, until it's like an actual problem, like we cannot do the things that we need to do. Yeah. That's when we're like, well, what is going on? Like, I need a solution. I can't live like this. Like I'm getting behind, which stresses people out even more. And then that's just a whole cascade because now it's like, I was already strapped on time anyway. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm brain fogged and I'm fatigued and all these things. And I'm just like trying to slug down as much caffeine as possible. Yep. Oh, it's, it's a bad, it's like, it's a vicious cycle. It is. It's twitch 22. Like they did a, um, this study of like, like I love homeopathy, like like treats like, and it's, it's about frequencies and how frequencies can help the body. But in America, they say like in our rush society, we are, they say more of a, um, we're turning into more of a gallbladder dominant society or a liver, which means this, that gallbladders are getting more dehydrated because of our diet. And from all the infections, which would mean this, we don't get rid of our hormones well from the estrogens, right? We don't digest our foods. So we have leaky gut. So that's going to create a society where we, if we have leaky gut, we're going to get natural more infections into our bloodstream because the infections break through our intestines into our bloodstream. But emotionally, we're turning into a culture where there's so much frustration and resentment and overwhelming. Yeah. When you feel overwhelmed, your yeah. gallbladder is, is not doing well. And if you feel overly frustrated because things don't go your way, I always say then you have to look into doing like cleansing of yeah. some sort to help get those organs cleaned out. So the signal that goes back up to your brain stops being overwhelmed because you're never going to create the, the normal amount of neurotransmitters yeah. in your digestive tract to feed your brain because that's where most of your neurotransmitters are made anyway. And I'm telling you, we're touching the surface, guys. You be talking about these normal neurotransmitters. There are. You wouldn't not believe how many neurotransmitters there really are. So for all the neuroscientists out there, they're like, you guys don't even know how many there are. I like, I understand because yeah. I've tried to study those. We want to try to give you solutions today. Like when you say the common things, but what I would suggest though too, if it's affecting the gut is you have to train your habits. You have to get the simplistic habits back down. And like we just talked about, you need to try to find out and get deep emotional work done. Yeah. Um, and I always... I always recommend that people do something like I like neuroemotional technique. I like NET. It's a really good yeah. process. I like I love acupuncture or EFT tapping. Yeah, I was gonna say, what about tapping? Tapping is one of the best ways to do it because yeah. you don't have to have somebody just start, do, just start tapping away. Start like, tapping. and and people say there's a whole other podcast we can do about that. But like when you tap points, there's so much stimulation that happens to your uh, uh, parasympathetic system when you do that. It opens up uh, the electrical pathways that you will start reminding your body how to listen to itself. That's so cool. That's right? fascinating to think about. I love, I love talking, like, let's say you're driving the car, right? And like, let's say you had all this congestion in your liver, you don't even know about it. And it's trying to send signals to your brain. I always call it about static wire. Remember the old days where you had actually had a phone wire and like you, yeah, like yeah. there's static in the, in the wire. If you send a bad signal, I hate to say this, from your liver um, over to like your, your spine and then you can live it, go up through the vagus nerve as well. The higher amount of signal that goes to the nerve back up, will, what we call, it aggravates the amount of neuron. Like there's one thing called a neuronal pull, but what it's saying is overwhelming the amount of nerves 
and nerve signals. So you'll start having static in the line, basically. That's in a nutshell. So the brain is trying to perceive all the information that's going on with this congested liver and digestive tract and all these parasites. And it's like, I don't know what to do for you right now. Yeah. How can I respond? And then you don't listen to your body because your brain's not getting it. So you just stop listening. And so like when you get overwhelmed, I always think that you better pay attention to the amount of emotional overwhelmed or fatigue and look at our circadian rhythm cycles on our health podcast about this. You got to learn about the emotions about it. But with the vagus nerve, I have a few thoughts. What do you think? What are the biggest things you want to do? Like talk about like we I know we man, we talked about this whole thing. We got a little bit of time left. But what is uh, your biggest vagus nerve recommendation? Like your breath work. I want to hear. Yeah, I I do really like breath work and I actually hated it for a long time (laughs) because I wasn't good at it. It was very much not my comfort. It was not like a place that my body felt less stressed. I actually felt more stressed because I would be thinking about it. And I'm like, I actually feel my shoulders and neck like tensing up, like focusing on my breath. Like it was that bad. I thought this is not a good sign. (laughs) The things must be really bad if when I'm focusing on my breath, I'm straight. It's almost like I was somewhat irritated that I didn't have a better experience with breathing. And so a lot of this was brought in through yoga because we always try to connect movement with breath Mm -hmm. and it's always trying to do that. And I was so bad at it. Like I could feel myself holding my breath (laughs) and I'm like, everybody else is just flowing like these little flowers in the wind. And I feel so rigid and I feel, I feel like I'm forcing myself into all of the different poses and I enjoy the actual sweating and the movement, but I couldn't get myself relaxed. I couldn't allow Uh myself to connect my breath with my movement. And the more I thought about it, the more unnatural it felt. And it was just a struggle. So I started, this is recently, like in the last couple of weeks. And I started using some essential oils because I would just like put them in my hands. Like I like wild orange, I like citrusy things. And so I would just like focus on breathing it in and focusing on what it smelled like Mm -hmm. because I felt like breathing just by itself. I was just like, okay, I just feel like I'm just taking giant breaths and I don't really, I I don't know that I'm really getting anything out of this. So if I could think about what I was smelling, like that sense of, okay, it's orange. Like I can almost taste it. Like that's, that's what I could, my mind could go there. Yeah. And then the breath would just became more natural. It was like the focus was off of the breath a little bit. But anyway, we were talking about this earlier. And just in the last couple of weeks, I actually felt, and I never thought that this would be a byproduct of kind of the exercise of breathing, but my capacity to hold breath grew. Like I could actually feel my lungs expanding in a way that they never had before. And I think it was because I had adapted to this very shallow breath pattern, like all the time. It's just this like, not that I felt like I was losing my breath, but that I had just adapted what seemed normal to me, but it was a very shallow breath. And now at any given point, I can access this deep breathing and I can feel it like everywhere in my body, like arms, legs, everything. It almost just feels like you get the chills a little bit and like your hair is kind of like standing up on your arms and it's every time. And I'm telling you, it is a game changer because if I'm in the car, like I only, you know, you don't need anything and you could just, you could be like wherever and just access this breathing. And you, it's like, you can feel your body, like those chemical messengers, like it's like communicating everywhere to your body. Like we're relaxed. (laughs) And so it's like, and you can feel things guys. I'm telling you, I know this is going to sound weird, but I could even feel things like, 
like just getting in bed the other night, I was like, I can actually feel the fabric of these sheets more than I thought I ever could. Like I was never aware of it because like, who's thinking about that? Really? Like you're getting in bed and you're just like, I'm tired or what am I going to do? I read a book, whatever. Like I actually felt like I was like, I can feel the actual fabric. Like my senses are so much more aware and heightened because I feel like now my body can process it. Like there was no room before. Like my body was like, I can't interpret anymore because there's so much coming at me. There's so much communication. Mm -hmm. And now that I've like allowed and cleared out some space, it's like, oh, I can actually feel things. I can smell things in a different way. It is not crazy. When you think about cranial nerves, and I know if we get a little over on this, but if you say cranial nerves one and two, three up to 12, and and there's, there's a lot of, when you think about one cranial nerve, that's the longest cranial nerve is the vagus nerve, and you stimulate it by breathing, and you're actually increasing parasympathetic tone to make you relax, you're also stimulating all the other cranial nerve centers, which have to do with your mm. eyesight, your hearing, your smell, your taste, your sensation on your face, the way somebody rubs your face. It's all going to feel different because you're actually creating parasympathetic tone, like you're actually releasing. And it, I love it when you t- talked about with yoga too, because you know with yoga, with the postures, like in chiropractic, they say that the upper neck and the lower sacrum are all where your parasympathetic centers are. Mm. That's where when people get a whiplash, it really jars them because it screws up their parasympathetics. But they also say, like in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic, is like if the upper neck and those parasympathetic areas are really, really constricted, that you cannot get into a place of surrender. Hmm. And what's parasympathetic there is like when you breathe, is like you're trying to consciously control how you go into surrender to the idea that I am not in control of everything. Yeah. I trust that some the higher source is going to take care of this, but we work ourselves to death, putting ourselves like, I have to control this, and I get into parasympathetic tone. And there is a great research, okay, for all you guys out there to wonder what Courtney's saying and how effective this is. The vagus nerve is usually a huge, they call it, there's afferent and efferent, and I'm going to go through this. It's about the amount of information that goes back to the brain. If you are sending so many signals back to your brain that are bad or jostled or running all the time getting into that cortisol fight or flight state the one thing that you have to be aware of is it'll tighten up your neck Mm. it shows in research that you will swell the area around your c1 c2 it will never get out of swelling if you're always in chronic fight or flight which puts pressure on the brainstem and will affect your cerebral spinal fluid flow but what does it mean there have been research projects at these companies in california's labs amazing results people with parkinson's ms they literally have neurological conditions that have been untreatable, tumors. And I'm not talking about cancers, I'm just saying but tumors. And they would take low-level inputs of small frequencies and put the vagus nerve back into parasympathetic state, running current through them. And these people are getting better and remission because they told their body to surrender. Yeah, wow. There's an instrument. I want you guys to check this out. I'm going to put on my... We should put it on the sto- yeah, show notes. Yeah, we should put it on the But I'm trying to be affiliate with them. And they told me, I'm not, I don't get any, I'm not trying to get kickback from, I, okay, they're dolphin stem, uh, micro stem units. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to just say that one company is the best. But they did long, um, long haul COVID studies in Canada. And what they found out, this is a study they did. And they put like, the, you can see little ear clips. In Chinese yeah. medicine, the ears are huge point treatment points. And they would run low-level current through these small clips. And what it does is it travels across the brainstem and it would put a relaxation tone into their vagus nerve. And wow. they found 85, I think 80 to 85% reduction of all long COVID symptoms 
85 faster than anybody else because they told the body to relax and receive all the information from like if they're taking medication. So it was a matter of getting the body to relax to actually receive. Wow. And I'm telling you, this information is like, in my opinion, like way of the future. If I'm, I'm doing more on myself, I'll probably document more when I get my instruments more because I have little microcurrents that do it. But people have been reporting to me when they do this, that they literally are like, I don't have to necessarily, I don't think about my problems as much anymore because they're getting to a place of surrender. In Chinese medicine, we call it yin. We call it like, what do they say? Yin is like, you literally are receiving and that's what's happening. You're learning how to receive. And I don't, and it may sound a little esoteric, but when you study a lot of vagus nerve, you'll look at a lot of habit forming psychiatrists and psychologists. And they say, no, it's, it's about reminding your body how to surrender. Like the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about certain meditations that make you what? Release your neck, release your sacrum yeah. and get the pituitary to start pumping. Guys, I know we're going along with it. But when Courtney said this, when she says, I feel like I could feel my skin, you know, my skin felt better. I feel like I can, my sensations can grow where I can actually feel where people feel like are in the room. When your vagus nerves really, really relax and your fear centers are really, really tonified in a, in a relaxation state, they've shown that your pineal gland, your pituitary really get relaxed and open up. And they say that opens you up to different ohm frequencies and C theta frequencies, which means you'll receive more information from God and your prayers will actually be more effective when you get into that state. But when we're in fight or flight, we don't feel like we can pray or connect. Which makes total sense because if you look at the way Jesus lived, I mean, he, it was always an act and a posture of servanthood and surrender. It was like, you don't go to the cross with your agenda of all the things you need God to do for you. Like he just wants you to be there, just surrender, like on your knees, like that, that's it. That's the posture of receiving the grace that has already, it's already there for you, you know? So it's like, but that's hard. That is so against our nature. Oh, like, totally. It's like not, it, it is just not our, our bent nature to be so concerned about ourselves and where it is that we're going, what we're doing. And yeah. it's like, it's against our nature. So our nature is like, we talked about the habits and I guess we'll just say, I'll say this, like, remember guys, what you think you eat. So if you eat, like we talked about with the gallbladder, the high sugars, the fruit, I mean, the high fructose corn syrup, all the things in dehydration, in your spiritual practices, do they all have an effect about how your vagus nerve and your and your mood? Yes, all of it does. Yeah. And but we want to be encouragement to you guys. We're not saying this. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. We just want you guys to know that there's like certain common things. Well, we can tell you all the herbs and stuff like that to help with your vagus nerve. But literally, look in that microcurrent unit. I'm telling you, and learning, looking. Yeah, into I need breathing. to know more about this microcurrent. Would you call that a dolphin? What was that thing? It called? was dolphin microcurrents. It's, it's is that micro- actually used on dolphins? Or no, no, no. Has no. They look like dolphins are handheld oh, devices. Like dolphins. I was like, like, is this something they use with but real dolphins? Totally, because they use microcurrent and microstem to help heal up scars. And okay. so they like, and they would, yeah, they would use it on dolphins. <laughs> well, I'm like, dolphins are really smart. They use I all kinds of frequencies like, to like communicate. <laughs> you know my mindset when you said an animal. I was like, oh. This has to do with real dolphins. So. Oh, I, I tell you, I love. It's like if they did, they, you can use it on animals though too. They've done that. Yeah, quite a bit. that Horses would be really cool. Too. Guys, I hope this helps really well. But I, I even look into neurofeedback. We can go to a whole nother round with this. Stuff I know this is too. well. What this is this is definitely one piece of the puzzle. But it's a high level view of the nervous system and really all the different of the other organ systems that it touches. But I hope that this has served you guys in a great way. And if you ever feel like, boy, this is a lot. I mean, we're all. We're all out here doing the work together. I, it just took me until two weeks ago to figure out how to breathe. So if you guys ever feel bad, it's hey, just nothing. We're all in process. We you can know? all do that. Breathing is the is key. Getting sunshine, getting water. Yeah. You yeah. know, 
if you're grounding, getting enough sleep and making sure you poop. So yeah. And if it doesn't feel natural at first, that's okay. Same. So if you do it once and you're like, oh, this was painful, do it again. Like yeah. it's okay if it doesn't feel the way you think it's supposed to feel. It's, I mean, that a lot of times that's, that's how it's going to be initially because it's different and your body is always going to prefer what's comfortable, what it's used to, but that might not be the healthiest place for you to be. So truly you got to train your habits, train yourself to get out of that yeah. high fight or flight. If you had to sit on the commode and wait to go to the restroom for like over 30 minutes, you better start training some habits. <laughs> Just but... don't be sitting there scrolling. Yeah, like, let's be that. honest. Like, cause I know that trick, you know, okay, I'm good bathroom. I'm like, okay, yeah. 45 minutes later. I know it doesn't take that long. <laughs> yeah. You're just scrolling on the, on the net. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but guys, we really appreciate we'll it. There. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was a great place to finish. It's great. Um, we, we really appreciate you guys um, uh, joining us. And so we really want to be encouragement to you guys. Just hang out for our next coming up episodes where me and Courtney can hang out. Yeah. We'll have some really cool um, thoughts and podcasts coming up. But appreciate it, guys. Remember, train your habits. Learn to surrender. Yep. Train yep. your breath. Work. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, guys. See ya. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.